Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. How are you? Thank you for listening to the show, be it if you're driving to work on a leisurely stroll or dismembering a body in your basement because you're a mob hitman. I appreciate I appreciate you. I don't appreciate the murder, but, you know, thank you for taking the time out to listen to the show. If you like my theme music there, that is Ken Vandermark. The song is called Turn Your Head. It's on his album Utility Hitter, 21st Mobile, ASCAP. Um, my guest today is Amy Dresner. Uh, she wrote the book My Fair Junkie, which is about her sex and drug addiction and time in jail and recovery. And it's an incredible book. It's very funny. It's very gritty. It's very honest. And we talk about what it's like to explore that sort of writing. And it's incredible. Um, so, and she's a, this episode is very. She's a very very funny woman. So it's a really fun and great episode. Uh, one quick point about the uh, I call her on the phone, and then we do the, That's how we do the interview. But um, I call through my computer, so it comes up weird on the other end on your caller ID. So that's what she's referencing when at the top of the interview because it comes up, you know, like I'm calling from a collection agency or something. So uh, that way you're in on the joke that starts off the show. Um, real quick, go to my website, thematdwire.com. That has everything you need from uh, my world of podcasting and whatnot. It's uh, social media, um, my Patreon page, merchandise. If you, send, if you buy a T-shirt and send me a picture of yourself in a T-shirt, I'll post it on my social media. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I have my Patreon is really important because, uh, and if you're enjoying the show, you're enjoying the conversations, and you want to be a part of the community and hear more, uh, being a $5 subscriber to my Patreon page gets you those options. It gets you, um, it gets you bonus episodes, it gets you commentary. I do a thing called Commentary with Matt Dwyer where I talk about each episode and go more into the history and my history with the guest and some personal stories. They've been really fun to make. Uh, Lorraine Newman is a bonus episode right now, you know, Saturday Night Live legend. So uh, check all, go to the website, thematdwire.com. It will take you to everything you need to know. Also, if you like my podcast, uh, check out Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Check out Joe Kilgallen's uh, podcast, Kilgallen's Pub. I think Joe has like three podcasts. If you're a sports nut too, he's He's got one of those. Uh, here's a really big important thing that you could help me out with. Rate and review the show and share it with your friends. But those things help me uh, keep visible so more people listen to it. Uh, and definitely tell your friends about it. And I appreciate it. I'm really thankful that you're listening to the show. So it means a lot to me. Um, so let's get on w- with the show. Let's have a conversation with Amy Dresner. Hi, Amy. <laughs> How are you? For fraud risk, I was like, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking guys, that how you start all your all your interviews, just terrifying your fucking interviewee. <laughs> Jesus. 
10 and 10 in the morning with a fraud risk call. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I got, I got enemies, dude. I got enemies. Uh, I do too. I think maybe not anymore. I live too far away to have enemies. I live in a community where I will not bump into somebody I slept with, and that's kind of comforting. See, well, God, well, that's amazing. It's it's really well. It's been like three years, so now it's like I mean I've been sober for like almost three years, so it's like it's. But I can still. But I was very slutty, so I mean there are many many people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. There, yeah. there was times where I was like, like I mean, I don't care that when he is on my slap with, I care about running into my exes. That's like really like where like I could go to jail again. <laughs> yeah. I had some pretty bad exes. Yeah. And like, yeah. You I, see me on the street, you better run the other way, motherfucker. Like that's all I have to say to you. I brought a girl home right. once and I stuffed my laptop between the couch cushions because I didn't trust her. And I'm like, why did, like, in hindsight, I'm like, what the fuck were you thinking in the first place? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't thinking at all. I was trying to have sex. She didn't even have sex with me. And then she ordered cocaine to be delivered to my house. Wow. And then expected me to pay for it because I paid for drinks all night. <laughs> wow. Hey, if I impress you, I'm pretty proud. God damn. God, she's you paid for cocaine and she didn't even fuck you? Jeez. Oh no, I you I, got I refused you, you you got ripped off. Oh, I refused the cocaine. I was like, all right, this is where this ends. Cause it was at a point in my life where I had had so many headaches and bad situations that I was just right. like I was like, okay, I'm that was like a big turn. That's pretty ballsy to just like have cocaine delivered at some dude's house you don't know. And then she was like, like at least, you know. Yeah. She was like at like oh, it, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. on. No, like at least go meet him at some shitty jack in the box. Like that's why I need my dealers. I mean, you know, like I mean granted I had dealers that delivered, but like I would never it was like you know, I would order during the day. Because I was so, because I was such a gnarly drug addict. And so it was like, you know, and that's also like when they could be there in 20 fucking minutes. Yeah, he showed up. No one else, no one else is ordering cocaine at, you know, 10 in the morning, you know, 12 at noon, you know, except really hardcore coke addicts. I did a little coke in morning coke. I thought I could, I, one day I was like, and this is just stupid, but it was 10 a.m. And I was like, I'll see if I could write on cocaine. Turns out I couldn't. <laughs> I wrote on cocaine. I don't know how good it is. I dare, I don't dare look at it. I wrote on meth too, and I'm like, I don't really want to look at those documents. Every, you know, like I was told Adderall is good, but for writing, but I Adderall makes me very aggressive, like really edgy and weird. It does not make me, and I, there's no high. I'm like, what's the point? I'm just like, what? Like I'm just like, like super energized and aggressive and irritable. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Why don't I just drink 700 lattes? Like, I just don't, it just doesn't agree with that. And Ritalin, I'm just like, I'm like a monster. Yeah, it doesn't agree with me at all. Like, but even Oxycontin made me aggressive. Everyone's like, everyone else, they were like, yeah, man, whatever. And I'm like screaming at people in parking lots. Like, oh, this doesn't agree with me. Opium did, opium did that. Like, opium made me hyper, and everyone else was like, they're like, oh, it's so mellow. And I'm like, I 
was I felt like I was on an upper. For, it was the weirdest yeah, thing. Yeah, some people have like an opposite effect from drugs. It's really weird. And cocaine like chills them out. I'm like, okay, you have like the most fucked up biology ever, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where that is. It's probably good that opium didn't uh, do something I liked because I always, that was the one I was... I mean, were you in China? Like, what the fuck? Like, where do you even get opium? Like, hello? I don't, it's just some, I was on tour, and some woman that I toured with had had it. Weird. I mean, that's kind of, like, very, like, sort of 70s cool, but, like, seriously, like, I don't, I don't think I've, you know, I don't know anyone who's, like, in the rooms who's, like, I'm an opium addict. It's, like, that's, like, something out of, that's, like, something out of, like, the Nick. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's like the 1800s where you're like going to opium den and like, it's like smoke it and some like beautiful, like Japanese chick comes over and, you know. It was 94? Or Chinese or whatever, you know, like, and it it like, you know, fucks you in a kimono or whatever. That sounds pretty all right. <laughs> if you can even get it, I don't even know. Can you get your dick hard on opium? I don't know. I don't have a dick and I never done any opium, but like oxy certainly did not make me horny. Yeah. I mean, I, opium is I mean, far from heroin. Can you fuck on heroin? I've never done heroin. I only smoked it once and I fell asleep. I was like, that's boring. I don't no. like downers. I don't like downers. See, I've, but also, I was on, like, all this epilepsy meds, so they, like, mixed it with, like, you know, phenobarbital, and then I was like, I need to go to sleep, and this junkie I was shooting up with was like, you can't, you're gonna die, you have to do coke and stay awake. I'm like, I'm so tired. He's like, no, do this rail. Like, you have to stay awake. I'm like, oh, <laughs> fucking terrible. <laughs> I was just like, this is awful. I didn't feel any high at all. I just was, like, sleepy. I was like, this sucks. I'm sleepy all the time. Like, I take naps all the time. Like, I don't need opium or heroin. Like, I don't get it. It just doesn't do anything to me. I don't know. My brain's fucked up. I don't, you know, I'm like, everyone's like, oh, it's the most incredible high in the world. I'm like, I didn't feel shit. So. Were you functioning? Because when we met, we were both doing. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, well, are you fucking, did you read the book? I did read the book. I couldn't even I couldn't even shower functioning. Oh my God. No, <laughs> you know, no, um, I wasn't high when you met me, when we met, we're doing stand up. I was, I was sober. Oh, I see everything. I was drinking pretty heavily in those days. So I, everything oh, is, was... I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I always, this is the question I often ask. It was like, was I decent? Was I a decent human? You... Yeah, you were a decent human, but you drank a lot and you drank on stage. You drank red wine. Oh, that was a little phase I had. I drank red wine because I was trying because beer made me bloated. That was really the, it was it was pure vanity. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, beer. I went through like a beer stage because like it was just a slower buzz for to me getting naked and violent. You know what I mean? I was like it was just a slower ride, you know. Versus like you know other kinds of drinks where I would just like end up totally totally shit faced immediately, and I was like ooh. Well, also drinking for loco probably wasn't the best idea I've ever had. Like, let's be honest. Oh, O'Connell used to drink something similar to that. Like, it wasn't for loco. But Is he sober? I would probably say no. <laughs> yeah, I don't. He s- used to drink a lot too. I remember him drinking a lot too. Yeah, we got lunch a couple years ago, and there he was having like an old school four lunch martini, and I was like, "It's fucking wow." Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, I used to do that stuff. I'm not sober, but I, you know, I'm a dad, so I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember him drinking a lot, but I was like that jumpsuit. I don't know, I, his humor. I was like, <laughs> I was like, hello, I was like, but he was not interested in me at all. When, what would would you think then? I think I was married even at the time, maybe, oh. or maybe it was I wasn't. I can't remember, but he was like, I kind of made a play for him, but he was like, mm. I was like, all right. I'm, that's surprising. Probably because I was sober. Oh, he stated uh, sober people. Well, what the fuck then? Now I feel <laughs> terrible. Thanks. I think He's like, I don't like blonde shoes. <laughs> uh, when did you start to, like, was, the book is so intense and great, if I didn't say that before. Thank you. But uh, I, I've been trying to drum up my own dark demons into paper, and it's it's fucking. I think people think it's easy to just like write something. They think it's cathartic, is what they think. They are like, "Was it cathartic for you?" And it's like, "Oh, it's the opposite <laughs> of cathartic. It's like you know what I mean. It's like trauma. It's like pulling up your fucking trauma. It's like digging around in a wound. It's not, you know, you have to live." Relive all that stuff, and it's. I didn't find it cathartic. Maybe other people found it cathartic. I did not find it cathartic at all. I found it really rough to go into those spaces and write that stuff and put my head, put myself in that headspace, because I'm just so far from that person now. And kind of thinking like, it was sort of shocking. I was like, who is this person, and like, why was I doing that? And like, I'm like, stop, you know. And it's just depressing, and like. It's also painful. It was just really kind of painful to, I don't recognize that person, to be honest with you anymore. And it's like, I mean, I mean, I hate to be trite, but like hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's like, I'm also not loaded. And so I can see all my behavior with no filter. Do you know what I mean? And I have a lot of perspective on it. And it's just, it's, it's hard to see that stuff. What made you determine to write it? I mean, because I, I just because I related to something I'm working on where it's my a lot about my dad's death and getting the shit kicked out of me and all kinds of horrible things. And fun. <laughs> it gets really fun uh, because I end up at because I as a teen I hung out at Second City and I ended up in this really weird world with like junky blues men and it was like a oh. really and like I, I was hanging out with like Chris Farley and shit when I was 18 and but. So that's fun, even though he's... Yeah, right. He did well. <laughs> I fucking love Chris Farley. I'm fucking R.I.P., man. God damn. That one Chippendales thing fucking still destroys me every fucking time. Uh, he... Well, he... He danced with... Uh, Swayze. With, uh, oh, God. My God. Oh. No, it's fucking tragic, man. It's tragic. Yeah, it's it's weird because I'm friends with his family, and when something like that happens, you know, uh, I think when you see things on tabloids, you, it never like it doesn't register. But like when they were putting shit on the tabloids of him, and I'm like, I know his brother. Like his brother is a good friend of yeah. mine, and you realize how just how fucking heartless those papers are. Not that you, oh, it takes God, a genius. Yeah. I've, I've talked about that. I've written articles about that, and I'm like. You know, this is fucking drug addiction. People are dying. It's a fucking, you know, for, for, it's a trauma-based or biology-based disease. And it's like, it's like when people, when, you know, it's like, it's like we're not circus freaks. 
You know what I mean? Like have some fucking compassion. If some, you know, it's like, even, you know, it's like, you wouldn't do that if someone had cancer. It's like, it's just awful. They do the same thing with mental illness. It's fucking horrible. I don't know. There's how- like no compassion. There's just, it's fucking horrible. I feel like that, especially with uh, homelessness in our city. Because oh, I had that, a. That destroys me. It destroys me. Well, it's always, too, it's always brought down to, uh, well, you know, they're probably drug addicts. And it's like, uh, no. <laughs> Have you seen the prices of a rent for starters? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm about to move into a cardboard box soon, you know? It's like, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I would fucking be using, if I was living on the street, like, that's, you know, that's, that life would, it's, it's probably fucking terrifying and depressing. I mean, there's a lot of, there's also a lot of untreated mental illness because Reagan, like, just led, you know, fucking closed all the mental hospitals, and so everyone's just like, you know? And, yeah, like you said, but you, like, you know, I've lived in other cities. I mean, San Francisco, of course, has horrible homelessness, but like, and Portland also. But like, you don't see this shit in Europe. This doesn't exist in Europe. Like, you won't see this in Japan. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not okay. It's so not okay. Yeah, it's it's just, and it, it's just blamed on them. Like, I saw one guy and right, they're lazy. They should get a job. It's like, um, I have a job and I still am like, you know, like fucking struggling. It's like it's yeah, it's expensive and life is expensive and uh, but yeah, it's just not okay. I mean, that shit fucking destroys me. And I think I kind of talked about that in the book. It was just like. That was really touched me a lot when I, because those were the only people that would talk to us when we were on the chain gang or homeless people. No one else would even acknowledge us because we were criminals. It was really weird to be sort of this invisible population that everyone was like, ew. You know, coming from like my background, coming from being like a Beverly Hills Jap to like, you know, being on the clean team, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sweeping, sweeping human feces and people just ignoring you. Like you, they wouldn't even look you in the eye. Like you were, you were invisible. Except for the homeless population. So we're like, good morning. <laughs> you know, I know it sucks, but it beats the pen. Keep going, you know. And I was like, thank God for you fuckers. Like, oh my God. Yeah, people don't realize that there's a community of, it's a community in a lot of areas. There's actually a homeless guy who has a podcast now I can, um, that I listen no to. No way! Yeah, and it's it's pretty incredible. Like, I don't know how he put it together, but he has other homeless people on, and they talk about That's the issues. amazing. I'll, I'll try to find it in, at some point. That's so fucking rad. But yeah, he has other people on, and they talk about the... They talk about... Oh, it's called We, we the Unhoused. Um. Wow. But they talk about the political issues and, you know, because th- everybody thinks it's just like they're idiots and it's like nobody knows. what. Right. They're not. They're not informed and they're not. Wow. Because I mean, I've had moments in my life. I'm thankful that I have a great foundation of support. And like, you know, worst case scenarios, I go move back to Illinois and. <clears throat> have to listen to my mom talk about Jesus, but <laughs> oh, God. oh God, I don't know. I think I might prefer to live under <laughs> an underpass. Like, oh yeah, Jesus, no. Oh. But um, yeah, it's, but it's like I've had always seemed to catch get out of things right before it gets really bad. But I'm like, 
if I didn't have family or friends who... Oh, well, yeah. Right, yeah. I have, yeah. It's like, when I get really nervous, my friends, like, are like, we would never let you. Like, no. Like, you know. Though I, I have to say, I the guys who live in RVs, I'm kind of, I would kind of dig that. Because it's just like, you go park anywhere. <laughs> right? That doesn't seem that bad. Yeah. Some of them have showers and bathrooms. It'd be like, yeah, you know. Yeah, this, that doesn't seem that bad. This week, I'm going to live in Silver Lake. You could just make you that know, fucking right? choice. Yeah, yeah. That seems kind of cool. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. And then I'd you could okay just be like, that. fuck it, I'm going to Arizona. Right? Uh, yeah. What kept you pushing through to finish the book, though? Because, like, I just know there's times, there was t- times where I would, when I'm writing about, like, my you're sobbing like it's like you're completely suffering and reliving it again what is i mean i keep going back and and it's like but i'm I'm like why the fuck am i doing this to myself (laughs) well first of all why did i finish it because i had a fucking deadline from a publisher do you think if you didn't have that you may have not finished I don't know. I mean, I had a published and, you know, and money was waiting on the other side. The other half of the advance was waiting and I'm a Jew and money motivates me. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) so, um, and I also just thought like, you can't like how horrible that they give a bunch of money to like, like an ex junkie and the person doesn't like turn in their book. Like I wanted to prove like, Hey, we are responsible. You know, like we can, um, I had been wanting to write the book for 20 years. So, I mean, it was just, you know, and it was my dream. So when I got a publishing deal, I was just like, there was just no, I turned it in, I think a day early. And I mean, my, my agent was like, what the fuck? You know, like writers are notoriously late. Like no one turns it in early. Um, but, uh, you know, writing other stuff, I can absolutely drag my ass. I mean, procrastination, if you're like, you know, like, oh, let's clean the refrigerator. You know what I mean? Like, you'll find anything. Like, you know, it's, it's like brutal because it's hard work and it's also painful. So, I mean, yeah, I had, I mean, I'll write articles, but again, you know, there's a paycheck on the other end. And also it's a thousand words or 1800 words. That's nothing. A book is like, you know, 80,000 words. It's a completely different thing. How did you, did you get a shit ton of notes, excuse me, from your editor and have to... I didn't get a shit ton of notes. I got some notes. Um, She wanted, she cut some stuff. My agent was very clear and he just said, you know, be as flexible as you can. Let, you know, let her cut the stuff she wants to cut unless you feel like, like it's so important to the story. And if you do and you're really invested, like, you, you explain why. But in general, I would take most of her notes. And I was like, okay. So, I mean, they cut some stuff that just didn't, you know, editors are obsessed with the narrative arc. So if it doesn't serve the narrative arc, they'll cut it. You know what I mean? Like, we got it. You fucked a lot of people. Okay, we don't <laughs> need 9,000 other fuck stories you know what I mean like so we're cutting this and I was like but that one money you know it's like doesn't matter um there was one I fought for which was the vagina story because I thought that was very very indicative of what it was like to be one of the females on the chain gang with all the with all guys and I was like this shows how you know I had this is important to me and it's funny as fuck and I'm not letting it go and she was like okay and um 
She also kind of, most of the notes were sort of like, be nicer. But it was like a little harsh, you know. She found my voice like a little harsh, you know, in terms of like being on PC or being, you know, good. I just opened the window for my cat and I banged him in the face. I'm sorry, Colonel <laughs> Puff Puff. Good. Still, still violent. Um, Do you think, uh, tell me if this is a crazy question, but would a guy get that sort of note, be, be nicer? She was very, like, she really thought, like, yeah, yes. I mean, I think that she was worried that I would be considered unlikable and also that I was mentioning people's weight a lot, you know what I mean? And it was like, and so then I thought, well, she, she must be overweight. And I looked her up and she, and, and you know, cause that's the one thing, like I have, like, I'm very, very shitty about a lot of people, you know, in the book because I was a dick. I was fucking mentally ill and I was on drugs and I was in, uh, entitled, critical, judgmental asshole. And it's like, so I'm like shitty to, uh, you know, and racist and all this shit, you know what I mean? Because, if you don't start off as being a piece of shit, where do you go? You know what I mean? Like, if I was not a dick when I was, like, mentally ill and on drugs, where is there to go? Why would I have gotten sober? Like, I was an angel when I was shooting cocaine. It's like, okay, then what's the book about? Like, there's nowhere to, there's no transformational arc. You know what I mean? So, and I was like, I don't care if I come off as an asshole as long as I'm an interesting asshole. And we're all judgmental inside. So I was like, you know what? I'm okay with it. But she was very on top of me. She thought it would be alienating to women because of the weight stuff. And of course, you know, when I looked her, I just, I knew, I could just feel it. I was like, why? That's her, that's the one thing she's obsessed with. She must be overweight because it's too personal. And then she, she was. So I was like, okay, that's why she's picking that out so much. Yeah. And what, is she in New York? Yeah, cause... and she's laughed now that whole thing. But it's like um, she was a great editor. I mean, I think she made me more likable. She had me more, you know, reflect more. But I didn't take out a lot of the teeth. I was just like, that's what makes that book, and like that's who I was at the time. And like, I'm not proud of it, but like, I, you know, I say this all the time. If you're trying to look good in an addiction memoir, you're not being honest <laughs> enough. Like, fucking for real. You know what I mean? Like, come on. How, yeah. You know, what does that mean to you to be to be honest in that in that sense? Tell the real truth. Tell all the dark shit. Tell the truth. Everything. Open a vein and bleed out on the page, man. Fucking tell it all. See, that's everything what... that you think that no one wants. Like you're like, oh, this is too dark, and I'm alone in this. You will be surprised how many people identify. It's like the universal is in the personal. It's very weird. You're not that unique. Your shit's not that kinky. You're not that dark. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like you're, you know, it's true. It's like other people, stuff that I was like, oh, my God, you, you know, said my thoughts. You put my whole, things I didn't, you know, you, 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 but I mean, also, I got a little bit of pushback where people are like, you seem like an asshole. And I was like, okay, you know. I'm wondering if that's the difference between because when you walk into a bookstore, you see a bunch of memoirs, and they're usually those fucking fluffy, stupid ones. Like I grew up in this kind of neighborhood, but I was a redhead. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? Right. It's like I mean, if I had been a man, would it have been different? 
Really good question. I mean, I'm you know, it's a pretty edgy, gnarly memoir for a woman. I mean, not many women talk about sex addiction. Not many women talk about shooting coke in their neck. And not many women were arrested for domestic violence, you know. And I haven't had a date since, so it's great. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've helped a lot of people. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, Mary Carr but has talked about that. Uh, Mary Carr has talked about the way women have represented sex in memoirs in the past and a lot of women uh didn't you know because guys can they have that moment of losing their virginity and they make it a big thing in books and women always kind of or have in the past glossed over it and she was like fuck that (laughs) right she's like we fuck just as much as anybody else yeah when i was writing the book my agent was like read mary carr's the art of memoir and i was like okay oh yeah that's what i read i went i i went through yeah i i went through it and was like okay so um, I've always been sort of filterless. I'm not sure, and now more so, I'm not sure if that's all the drugs or all the seizures. I Maybe it's brain damage. I mean, people are like, you're just the truth teller. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not always great. I'm always like, oh, why did I say that? You know, it's like kind of like I sort of, you know, I think I've, I've damaged my prefrontal cortex, so that, that part where, that tells you, like, don't say that. Like, because just shit pops out of my mouth, and I'm like, oops. See, but there was a, there was guys like when I was young, you know, when you start discovering writing and people who are able to tell the truth. Like I remember the first time I saw Spalding Gray or read Spalding Gray, and he talked about fucking the dirt. <laughs> I was like, I was like, holy shit! Like this guy just told something I would never tell anybody. And then I was like, you See? need, yeah. And it was like a revelation. Yeah. And. and I people I would forget what the fuck I was. You gotta say the shit that everyone's thinking that no one dares say. Everything you don't want to write about, that's what has to go on the page. That's the shit that people are gonna fucking like really relate to, and that you're gonna. I mean, that's you know, that's where people's like, oh my god, thank you for making me feel less alone and less broken, and making me laugh at shit that I was like ashamed of or had never told anyone. And I'm like, you're welcome. Like. You know, I mean, writing about the sex addiction stuff was the hardest stuff. It really was. There's nothing cool about being a female sex addict. Sorry. Like, you know, that scene, you know, with that fucking rando guy on FaceTime with the black dildo. I was like, I do not want to write this fucking scene. I was like, kill me now. And it was like, you know, and I mean, I, Jerry saw, was a friend of mine. And, uh, he just said, he, and he blurbed the book and he just said, you know, he, he's quoted as saying, if you had the nerve to live it, then have the nerve to write it. And I was like, all right, bitch, there we go. That's a great, that's a great line. Yeah. Don't be a pussy. Man. What, do, what do you think people misunderstand about sex addiction? Cause I don't think people fucking, I think everyone. Can... They don't, they don't get it. They don't get it at all. I mean, I just wrote an article for another magazine about it, and, like, there's a whole thing that it doesn't really exist and blah, blah. And it's like, okay, like, it, it seems pretty real to me. It seemed very compulsive, and it was really frightening, and it was fucking a lot of people that I didn't want to have sex with, and it was being very unsafe about it, and it was it was really kind of terrifying. Um, it's... You know, to me, it is about, uh, it's about dopamine, you know, it's about, you know, whether it's the orgasm that you're chasing or the, or the chase that you're chasing. I mean, when I would go to drive to meet someone new, I was shaking, like I was going to go score fucking drugs. Like, you know, there was that anticipation and, 
I mean, then I would drive home crying, just feeling like a piece of shit. But it's like, you know, I think for a woman, I was like, well, I'm a, you know, like I'd play, play like Pink's slut like me. I was like, you know, ha ha, you know, you're just a slut like me and I'm a female stud. But I'm not really wired for that. I am wired for love and monogamy. And it's like, I just couldn't, I would get attached to everyone. And then I would have to fuck someone else to break that attachment. And it's like, it was really difficult. I think I was looking for validation after coming out of a really gnarly marriage where I was uh, put down a lot and sexually rejected a lot. I think I was also, I was 42 and I was like, I'm a divorcee. Like I need 25 year olds to tell me I'm hot. You know, it's like, and I also needed to get the fuck out of my body. I was in sober living. I was facing a divorce and a criminal trial. I was sweeping the streets. I couldn't get high anymore. I was basically vaping and fucking strangers. I had to get high. I needed to get the fuck out of my body. And, um, I mean, when I look at it more, I think that it was really about looking for love too, as well. Um, and that's just very, you know, love addiction and sex addiction. It's very painful stuff. It's very painful. I've had two women reach out to me lately and they're just like, I want to fucking kill myself. They're just like, this is so horrible. And it's worse than trying to get sober. And I'm like, oh, I know, honey. Do you think there's anything in within the shame element of it too? Oh God, yeah. You're not you're not a stud if you're a chick. You're a fucking slut. And I don't care how many slut walks there are or blah blah. It's still deeply entrenched in the culture, you know. And I think that also there's. I mean, <clears throat> I worked for an evolutionary psychologist, and part of it is like is inborn in sort of in our genes, which is like, we can get pregnant. So we're stuck with like a baby for nine months. And so we're looking for a provider. A guy's going to stick around. A guy can just like jizz in everyone and spread his seed. That's like their gen. That's the drive. Our drive is to have someone prove that they can stick around in case we get pregnant. And I think that that supposedly that's still in our stone age mind, even though we have you know, your Stone Age mind isn't, isn't like, well, you're on the pill. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I mean, I just found myself being, finding myself attached to people that I didn't know and didn't give a fuck about and didn't even like because, you know, you could say the oxytocin release. Oxytocin's released when you hug or fuck someone. But in men, testosterone stamps it down and blocks it. So men don't feel that, but women do. So women feel bonded, but men, testosterone fucking like a football player is like, boom, you know, and fucking blocks it, and they don't have it. They don't feel it. I must have something off because I used to get attached if I fucked somebody. You're then it, a girl. You're, you're a girl. <laughs> but then a few months later or a couple weeks later, I'd start finding any excuse in the world to not, like, I'd just find, like, random anything, like, eh, those shoes are fucking weird, and I'd be, like... <laughs> Out, out of there. Yeah, like, like I'm not into it. Like something completely. And I look back and I'm like, God, I, I blew a lot of. I mean, I have a great wife now, but like I was just like, I just found weird excuses not to be with people who actually That's liked interesting. me. Yeah, I'm fucking damaged too. We all are. <laughs> Hi, we all are. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm always just like curious about like now that I meet these like really nice parents, and, and I'm like, what's the darkness? What what are you, what are y'all smiling about? Because it's all bullshit, right? <laughs> well, I guess I don't know. I'm not a parent. I don't know, but like, you know, it's funny. I was with my friend and uh, her two year old 
who was like screaming and running around this restaurant. And these gay guys were just like, oh, my God. And I was just like, sorry, guys. They're like, thank you. And I was like, what the fuck do you want us to do? Like, they're psychopaths. They're two years old. They're fucking psychopaths. You know what I mean? Like, like, there's nothing you can do. Like, what are we supposed to not take the child out of the house? You know, it was like I took her to a re- I took my friend and the baby to a reading and the kid was screaming. And I was like, get her fucking out of here. Go outside or go in the back. Like, this is my friend's reading. And um, I have to say it was really dope because the author, my friend Laura Erin McCown, go, is a mom of 11-year-old daughter. And she goes, tell that mom and her kid to come back and be here with us because – and it's fine if the kid screams because we've all fucking been there. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah, it's like well, I used to like any time I was on a plane, I'd see somebody come on with a baby, and I'd just be like, "Oh fuck!" And now I realize, oh, me too. I want to blow my head off. I'm like, <laughs> ah, you know, like you know, I talk to my friends, and they're like, "Fucking the kids screaming in the back." I'm like, "Can't deal. Call me back later." You know, it's like I mean, I didn't have a child for many reasons, but um, partly because I'm just not that fertile. I mean, I had a miscarriage. I think at 44. I pregnant and had a miscarriage at like 44. But I think the universe was like, you have too much mental illness and addiction in your family. Like, we're going to stop this lineage right here. <laughs> like, I, bar- I, bar- I barely survived my genes. Fuck. So I was just like, fuck it. I'll get a cat. Fine. You don't have to put cats in college. Right? Of course, the way things are going for me, I don't know if my I'm gonna put, I can't put my kid in college. <laughs> I'm just get talented, get get a scholarship. I've heard like even like kindergarten or preschool is like so expensive, and you've got to like interview. I'm like that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It's it's all a fucking nightmare. It's it's and then we're I know it seems like a lot. Oh well, it is what it is. It's made me a better person. It's definitely made like that's cool. Well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went like sound convincing at all. You're like, well, uh. I just went decades with. Yeah, but you're not going to be alone when you're 80. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, where am I at 80? Like, what the fuck? Uh, who's going to visit me? My fucking, you know, I don't even know. Like, no, I'll, who's going to take care of me? Like, I got to get it together. I'll come over. I, I need a fucking partner, man. I think the, the great thing about the times we live in, we don't, may, we may not have to worry about that. We might just get engulfed in flames or floods. So it just, it'll all just. <laughs> I mean, I I think of that all the time. I'm like, oh, I I live by the foothills now. I'm like, these fuckers could just go up at any moment. I don't know. I'm like weirdly. I mean, everyone's like, you should be dead. This girl was talking to me. She was reading the book and she was talking to me on Instagram and she still Googled me to see that I was alive because the story is so gnarly. She's like, how can you be alive? And it's like, I don't know. Good genetics? I don't know. Do you, think- you know, my dad has cancer. My dad, he's, like, fighting cancer. And, like, he's 82. And it's uh, they did six rounds of chemo. And the motherfucker is, like, in remission. And they've just never seen anything like it. You got some crazy genetics. I know. They're just like, what? Like, he barely had any side effects from the chemo at all. They're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's it's really weird. Yeah. He, your dad was a writer too, right? Yes, correct. And you grew up. What was that? You grew up at like Beverly Hills in the, in like yeah, writer TV. My, to, yeah, yeah. I was like a fucking you know Hollywood kid. I mean, like I grew up on sitcoms and sitcom sets and all that shit. 
He wrote, you know, cheesy 80s fucking sitcoms, and he wrote movies. He did some cool movies, too, but he did some schlocky movies, too. But um, And he wrote a book when he was, like, 27, which I think is a genius book called The Man Who Wrote Dirty Books about a porn writer. Because when my dad was in his early 20s in New York, he used to make his rent through poker and writing these softcore uh, porn novels with like Larry Block, they were all friends. You get like a penny a word or something like that. You know, his throbbing manhood, those like creepy, <laughs> like soft cover, you know what I mean? Like that shit. And then he wrote a really funny book and someone, they wrote it up and they were like, oh, a Jack Lemon-esque character. And all of a sudden Jack Lemon's fucking agent's calling him. And they fly him out to LA and they're like, we want you to write a movie for Jack Lemon. And he was like, they were like, oh, he's like, okay. And he signs the paperwork and he's like, I've never written a movie. Can I see a screenplay and what the fuck it looks like? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and he wrote April Fools with Jack Lemon and Catherine Deneuve. So it's like, and then he wrote, you know, the Iger Sanction with Clint Eastwood and he wrote the egg scene in Cool Hand Luke and he wrote Zorro the Gay Blade with fucking George Hamilton, which has like become like a cult classic and like, Lots of sitcoms, early mash, and you know, so yeah. That's a is. It, I think for most people, when you grow up in a weird situation, you don't ever question it. Because I had similar with being around Second City, where you're just like, you just get used to being around famous people, and you don't think twice about it. Yeah, because... like yeah, totally. Like you know, us going to Reno with Joan Rivers or Gary Shandling, like running a set in our fucking living room, or. Paul Reiser, like you just don't even think about it. Like it's just like, oh, okay. And weird, like with my kid, I'm like, I'm glad she's around comedians and and writers because I'm like, she's hearing shit. No other kid, like she hears absolutely. Conf- and I'm like, and that's how I, I grew up around people who were having these conversations that were way over my head, but I was smart enough mm-hmm. to shut the fuck up and think I couldn't participate or and just absorb it, which I am grateful because, I mean, I couldn't talk fucking philosophy in, at 16, <laughs> but I listened and learned, and I think that becomes, if you're in that yeah, environment... Yeah, I think that that's, yeah, I mean, I learned, I learned, I think, comedic and timing from that. Do you know what I mean? Like, natural yeah. comedic timing from hearing my dad and these people and, you know, also my father was just on my ass about writing. Like I would write, you know, a rough draft. I'm like, this is my final draft for this essay. He's like, I don't fucking think so. Writing is rewriting. Go do it again. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like- even when I was up there, I went up there cause I'm working on this. I'm, I'm writing this, this girl's memoir. And, uh, he'd be like five pages today or you don't get lunch. I was like, Jesus Christ. You know, I was like, so he's just a machine. I mean, he's just so prolific. I, you know, he's, I, I, I'm not prolific like that. I kind of go in spurts, you know, I'm not like someone who's like very like, I'm like, okay, it's writing time from 10 to four, turning off the phone, like setting up, like, that's not me. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, I feel inspired. I'll write this. You know what I mean? Or like, I have a deadline. Like, and I can bang it out, but it's like, I'm not someone who's like super duper disciplined with that. Unless there's a fucking deadline and then I'm on it, you know? I need structure. Yeah, I used to... Uh, Adam McKay and I were at Second City at the same time and that guy had so many fucking ideas that I would mention them a week later and he'd be like, oh, I forgot about that. I'm like, I hold on to every fucking idea I oh have like God, it's pure gold. Uh, yeah, like some people are just like idea machines and you're like, what? No, no. No, 
do, what are the kind of questions people ask you about the book that, cause like I, this is, I don't know, this was my one thought. Like you talk about some of the people you sleep with and because we know each other, I'm like, do I know this person? <laughs> I'm like, do, do I know this guy? I'm sure you do. I mean, there was a lot of comics, so I'm sure you do. People try and guess who the sweaty movie star was. Oh, do you ever? They, I, cu- they cut out the other. They they cut out the other famous person, like because they were like, "We got it. You fucked people. We got it." So they cut that other person out. So it's like fine. Um, you know, the thing is, the book goes through legal too. So, you know, I I had to ask. Uh, there are people that we either just you know disguised or other people that I had to get their okay. Especially people who had been in, I had been in treatment with or sober living, I had to I had to send them the part of the book about them. Oh, did they right? and be like, "Are you okay with this? And is there anything you want to change?" Because they, you know, Hachette was like, "We don't want to get sued, bitch." Like fucking, you know. So, do you have to change their name, or did you use actual names? I changed names, except for my sponsor and my breathwork guy who wanted their names to say. And you can't. Write the scene if even if it's like a fake name. I wrote the scene. It's all real. Everything that happened is true. Oh, I just meant when it goes through legal because you when you show it to people, I just that's what I was curious about. Um, the mostly the stuff that they were careful about was the stuff around my ex husband. That was the stuff that they were like, and he tried to sue anyway. So that's uh, yeah. So we had to cut some stuff around that because you know. Because so, I gave him a heads up, he'd probably come after us, and he did. So, and and uh, yeah, but the, how quickly was that resolved? It was resolved very quickly. I mean, you know, they were just like, we trust that this is an accurate description, and you know, legal, you know, has been through it thoroughly, and we back our writers and whatever. I mean, he wasn't happy about it, and but he didn't, you know, he left it. He left alone after that. Yeah, I guess uh, a friend of mine was married to, I can't say who, but a famous comedian. And she was working on a book and he put it in a divorce. He was like, nothing about me. <laughs> yeah, my ex tried to put a gag order on me during the divorce when this was way before I wrote the book. This was when I was just like having a nervous breakdown in treatment while we're going through the divorce. And I was like, a gag? He's like, you can't talk about me. You can't write about me. You can't, you know, nothing on stage. I hadn't stopped comedy. And I was like, fuck you. Like, no way. You know what I mean? Like, are you kidding? Like, that's my, li- that's my living. It's my art. Yeah. I think that's, I think, I think people are, I think guys are afraid to date me because they don't want to end up in a book. Cause like, you know, that's the problem with writers. It's like, you fuck us over. We'll write about you. Oh, I had a girl tell me that once girl, a woman. Yeah, Me too. I- I've had people go, I don't want to end up in one of your fucking books or essays. And I'm like, and don't be a dick. That's what I said. I was like, I was like, if you <laughs> notice, if you notice, they're all lunatics. And yeah, but, like be yeah, yeah. And the people who aren't in the book, they're like, I'm not in the book. I'm like, you weren't an asshole enough. Like that's you know. Yeah, you should have been an asshole more. Yeah, it's like you were really nice. There was it was. I mean, like, thank you, but it wasn't that interesting. This is people being abusive and being assholes. So, you know, yeah, you don't want to be written about. Don't be a dick. But it's like, you know, that's that Anne Lamott thing. They're like, if you want, didn't want to be written about, you should have behaved better. It's like, yeah, but there's also, you can get sued for libel and treason. Not like treason, libel and uh, slander very easily. So it's like, you know, big publishers are very, very careful with the wording. We had to go back through and like change wording of a lot of shit. Wow. Yeah. They were just like, we're not getting sued, bitch. And I was like, okay. 
Do you find guys are intimidated? Because, you know, we men are f- frightened beings at our core who pretend we're not. Do you find that men are uh, intimidated by that kind of truth from you? Um, you know, I mean, I've gotten messages that they're like, I'm in love with you and you scare the fuck out of me. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like that's, I mean, that's sort of what's happened since the book. And then women are just like, thank you. Like, thank you for like saying what I felt and like, you're my spirit animal. So, um, you know, I mean, like I recently was like at a restaurant and some guy asked for my number, which doesn't really happen that often. And I was like, turned out of course that he was like 18 years younger than me. And I was like, Oh my God, I could be your mother. Like, no. And I was like, and also not that I'm against robbing the cradle. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But like, you know, I was very flattered that he didn't fucking realize how old I was. But, um, once I sort of told him a little bit about my background, he seemed really put off and terrified. See, I've always been attracted to, to that sort of, I want to pers- Yeah, I need someone who likes the crazy. I mean, I need someone. Well, I think that we're, I mean, I think recovering addicts are like the bravest, most fucking like resilient motherfuckers on the planet. And it's like, so, and we have an enormous amount of compassion and stuff like that. But if you don't know about it, I mean, especially like the stabbing part, that's like that. Some guys are like, that's hot. And other guys are like, oh my God, no, you know, um, but I keep running into him cause he lives right around here. And I keep running into him like, you're following me and it's getting fucking weird, dude. You know? And I'm like, I already scared the shit out of you. Like what, why are you even saying hi? He's like, that's not true. Why do you think that? I'm like, Oh no. I mean, that is a, I mean, I'm seven years clean now. That book came out when I had three years clean. A lot has changed. Wow. I can't four years. Yeah. I can't believe that was four years. Well, it was only released in 2017. Okay, that's what takes, I thought. Yeah, it, but it takes, you know, by the time you finish it, and then it goes through, you know, editing, and then it goes through copyright, and then it goes, I mean, uh, copy editor, and then it goes through legal, and then there you argue over the subtitle, and you argue over the cover. I mean, and like by the, you know, I mean, it's t- it's it's a year or two in the making, like literally. That's got to, that would by drive the time me. it's released. That would drive me insane. It's a, it's a long ride. It's definitely a long ride. So when you finished that, because then you, uh, were you like, well, now what? Or did you already have shit? You... Well, no. I mean, now, you know, it was like, well, I mean, I had a, I was still, I had a day job and whatever, but it was like, there was still, you know, editing to go through. And I was just so sick of my story at that time. I was like, fucking, oy. you know, you're just bored with yourself. You're like, oh my God, you know. <laughs> Like, that's the way you want to, like, kill your own self-obsession. Like, write a memoir. I'm just like, oh, I can't. And then, like, you've got to read from it. You're like, oh. Just like, I've got to go do a fundraiser at the end of February and read from the book. I'm like, oh. You know, and when you read from it later, you're like, ah, that sentence sucks. You know what I mean? Like, why didn't I, that, you know, why didn't I catch that? Or, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's like you're, you know, once you... You've been away from something. You look at it again. You're just like, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm not nuts about that. And other parts, I'm like, I wrote that. That's fucking genius. Like, how come I can't? I don't seem to write, be able to write shit like that now. Like, am I getting stupider? 
So it's like a combo of both. I'm like, who wrote that? Was I channeling? Like, fucking, I haven't written anything that smart and witty in forever. Fuck. Mm. I hear that. I feel, I feel right there. Well, you know. Yeah. Um, where can uh, people find all your good things? Follow you on the social media? Um, I'm on Instagram at Amy Dresner. I'm on Twitter at Amy Dresner. I'm on Facebook at Amy Dresner. There's Amy Dresner official. I have a website, amydresner.com. Um, yeah. Oh, you got a blue check? I don't have a blue check. Oh, on Twitter, I'm verified. I, I don't know why. They won't verify me on Instagram. It used to drive me nuts. Now I'm just like, I don't fucking care. Oh, who gives a shit? It's, it's like, yeah. you know, I mean, I think that if someone tries to like, someone tried to like make an account of like about me. And so that was, I think, how I got it. Uh, but I can't seem to get it. I can't, I want to get verified on in Instagram so I can be like, woohoo. But it's like, no one gives a fuck. That drove Kyle Kinane insane for like a year straight, and it's all he posted about. <laughs> <laughs> what, that they wouldn't verify him? Yeah, he was like, I'm fucking verified. And then he would just, every post was like, maybe this Hilarious. is good enough to be verified. He's very funny. Very funny. He kills me. Yeah, he's very, very funny. Yeah, I know. I'm like irritated. I'm like, I see people with less followers. Like, why won't they verify? And I'm like, oh, Amy, it's just ego. It's like, who cares? Exactly. All right, Amy. I thank you very much for doing this. Oh my God, my pleasure. So glad we got to do this. You've got you've got some great guests. I feel like I'm in really good company. I'm honored. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I appreciate your support. Rate and review the show. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe to my Patreon. I appreciate you so much for listening to my show. And in the great words of one of my favorite guests, Pete O'Neill, power to the people, all of the people.